Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Hey, welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. I'd like to welcome Matthew Weiss to the show. Matthew is a second lieutenant and an intelligence officer in the United States Marine Corps and the author of We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. All right, so I've you know read a little about you and your book. Uh, give us a little synopsis about this Gen Z book and how they don't want Uncle Sam. Absolutely. So I wrote the book because I felt that I had to give my generation voice on the recruiting crisis. The military has been struggling to recruit now for a couple of years. We we're hitting our, our lowest numbers. And a lot of generals and admirals will talk on TV about this, but I wanted to give a young person perspective, what, what they're missing at the tactical level in the high schools and colleges of America. Um, it's a constructive book. It's 21 chapters with 21 problems about the issue, but also 21 solutions. It's not bashing the military in any way. It's sort of a, a goal to come together, have a dinner table conversation about how we can bring more people into service. You know, and I have to say, you're kind of an unusual, stereotypical service member. Uh, my brother was a Marine. Uh, my uh, one of my brothers, one went to West Point Military Academy. My dad was in the Air Force, but my I, th- I would say my brother that went to West Point's a little bit more like you because I was looking at your education, and oftentimes kids join the military went out of high school, and maybe they do it because I mean, in some cases, they don't really have a path as to where they're going to go. And I know that you have an MBA from Wharton School, the University of Pennsylvania, which is pretty prestigious. So, what made you choose the military? Yeah, so I, I personally um, had I, I have internal and external motivations. Internally. Like many, I was patriotic, wanted to serve the country. Like that's been in the past. I think very Gen Z of me, and a lot of Gen Zers will say this. I looked at the military as an investment in myself. I said, military is ah. the world's greatest leadership factory, and I can really learn leadership. I think a lot of Gen Zers now are okay with saying, "Hey, what's in it for me?" Mm-hmm. The reason I'm joining is because it's a job, or it's uh, the best camaraderie that I can find, or it's um, exciting. And I think as a society, we should support those just as much as those that join because of patriotic reasons, right? Mm -hmm. We should be okay with people joining for various reasons as long as they're joining. Now, in terms of Gen Z people, I was reading the New York uh, Post article where you're quoted and it talks about your book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. And then you said that you thought the gap could be closed if the military started using young people where they are, you know, on social media. And I've got three teens in high school, so I would agree with you. And I love your quote. It says, I don't want people in uniform shaking their butt, doing crazy dances and disparaging the uniform. But we do have to normalize serving. And that means using social media, having positive discussions in uniform and showing the American public that we're regular people doing a pretty extraordinary thing. So let's talk a little about that because I would agree with you I see a lot of the shaking the booty stuff yeah 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 but I think so many people respect the uniform that there there could be a really cool way of using social media for recruitment absolutely so I think there's a knowledge so the Secretary of the Army will describe a knowledge identity and trust gap that's that's what she says uh, amongst the you know generation and the military specifically the knowledge gap we're, we're in, a, in a world now where only one percent of America is veterans, right? Unlike World War II when everyone's father or uncle, you know, served in the military. So frankly, 
young people now don't know what life in the military is like. They don't know the opportunities that are there for them. They're just not as exposed. Unless you had a military family member, if you're a regular person in a community, you may not have any idea what it is to be in the military. And I think we have to break that barrier and have discussions, showcase what the military has to offer, various times in service, various things that, that occur, right? And, and that's one way to do it. We have the ability now, you know, to anyone can make media if we encourage our young service members in a very positive way to have positive conversations and, and discussions and talk to their own hometowns and, and post online and show, hey, this is what my job is like. This is the amazing benefit that I've, I've got. That's a, a key community-level, tactical-level way to change and boost the recruiting crisis. Well, I like what you say, too, about um, the military being one of the best, like, leadership factories, you know, teaching people to be leaders and managers. And I was just in San Diego, and um, I was just impressed by, you know, such a military presence. I think there's Marine Corps, I know Coast Guard and Navy, and I was at this big San Diego Lights, like, extravaganza thing, and there were so many military men walking around in their uniforms, and their so impressive and so respectful and many of them had their dogs with them as well and that kind of presence on social media I could see that that would intrigue young people so many people were stopping to talk to them and pet their dogs and just ask them questions about their service etc so and they had some booths set up as well so I think um, I would agree with you on that but one thing I found very interesting in reading about you and your book is um, and this shocked me that part of the issue with Gen Zers you know young people getting in the military is that they um, are uh, fat and out of shape. And one of my girlfriends who was a drill sergeant, she said they called it like, um, like boot camp was like, um, you know, uh, like boot camp, like, oh, I forget what she called it, but like fort, you know, living room or like that they'd been on, you know, uh, the couches for so long that they were starting from scratch. And I did not know that there are programs which actually can prep people for basic training because they'd be too out of shape for basic training. So they take somebody before they've even like started basic training and like say like, like you're so fat, we need to get you in shape just to go through basic training. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a great point. The, the Army has now experimented with a pretty successful program that sort of increases people's physical uh, fitness and their readiness to be able to to um, join the military, which is, which is a good step forward. It's a very experimental, new sort of idea. The generation, um, you know, is, is in many ways struggling health-wise. I think we actually have more mental than physical health issues. Ah. That's another point that I talk about. That's really important. The military has to be seen and message as a place that supports mental health. If it's not, because Gen Z cares a lot about mental health, and we struggle, frankly, more than other generations with mental health, whether that be because of social media or just the time that we're, we were raised in. And the military needs to message itself. It's not just a physically supportive place, and obviously you're going to be in pretty good shape if you're working out every day in the military or supported, but also a place that supports mental health and and. Uh, you're going to gain resilience and gain great, you know, coping skills and emotional strength skills uh, from your time in service rather than, you know, be damaged or harmed when you serve, even if some of the jobs are very difficult. 
and, and very intense jobs. You know, I, I know quite a few Gen Zers because my kids are young and then I've got, you know, th- their cousins, et cetera, that are young. And uh, in that same New York Post article, um, a researcher was saying that Gen Z stands out for their high levels of pessimism. I didn't know that, but I did know that they're most likely to favor socialism over capitalism and that four in 10 say the founding fathers are better described as villains than heroes. So that pessimism, I'm sure, which surprises me that they are so pessimistic, affects, you know, the recruitment numbers as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think one of the things, and look, it's very hard to sample a whole generation, right? Right, so right. Every, every study I'll say is, is sometimes taken with a grain of salt, and there's also in, insight to be had, meaning like, you know, I, I cite throughout the book a lot of studies. I'm a business background, so I have to use a lot of numbers and data. At the same time, you can't capture the sentiment of an entire generation through a couple of surveys. You have to use, like, key insight and anecdotal findings. So I do find, yes, there is unfortunately some pessimism about the future. Uh, that could be because we grew up in times of COVID, divisive elections, and, you know, the great financial crisis. Those yes. are three events that shaped us. At the same time, I think Gen Z is more realistic and is pragmatic, and that could be used in a positive way because we can build positively. And I don't know that we're necessarily all that less patriotic overall, that we just want to just, you know, bring down the country or whatever. I, I disagree. I think there's a good cadre enough, at least enough of us, even if that study's right, 60% of us are still, you know, pro-America, if you can call it that, right? To the point yeah. that we can build, we, we want to build, um, but we're realistic. We, we know life is going to be challenging. We may not be able to live, frankly, at the same standard level as our parents, but we're going to try our hardest. And the military is a good path or should be a good path to growing one's wealth. And that means both economically, but also through experiences and through physical and health. Like the military is a wealth creation path and should be seen as that. Yeah. And travel like you're in Australia right now. And I know that in the book you um, have some personal life stories um, I love, you know, stories, um, you know, I think that they really illustrate um, a point well. So what personal stories from the book do you think are the most impactful? Absolutely. So and, and just the point about that, like, that's the only way. First off, stories is the best way to actually explain ideas and tell things to people. Right. And two, this is a very meaty statistical conversation. Right? Like we just had a conversation about statistics and surveys. You know, filling the book with all of that, people would be bored. And I had to sort of give some anecdotal points. A few of them came from my time in boot camp, my very short time of joining. They came from my time in in business. They also came from observations I've had speaking to other people and other discussions. You know, a a funny personal life story, right? Here I am, this Wharton MBA, I have this very fancy, good job. And uh, a couple weeks later, I was in Marine Corps Officer Candidate School, and I couldn't open a a padlock in time and we're getting screamed at, you know, talk about a, a big life change, right? Yeah. you know, breaking down a, a, of ego at the same time, I was built up into such a better leader because of that and having those experiences that I really, uh, I really learned a lot. So it's been, uh, been pretty cool. And any other stories of other Gen Zers that you think we'd be interested in from, we don't want you uncle Sam. Yeah. Specific. So some specific Gen Z stories are just, uh, growing up with social media and the effects that that has had. And I, oh, I yeah. point out a few anecdotes there and and what that has done to us and, and how that's shaped us. And one of them is, is just basically the Gen Z, unlike millennials, we are a competitive generation. 
when you grow up and you post on Facebook or on Instagram or TikTok and your post gets X amount of likes, but your friend Sally gets X amount of likes and more and John gets less likes, you you're understand competition and social competition at a very mm-hmm. young age. Mm-hmm. So I think that Gen Z, again, not only are more realistic and pragmatic, we're actually more competitive. Uh, we are a very competitive generation. We seek competition. We desire competition. Uh, then millennials and then other generations. And that's one way to entice us in jobs to allow us to compete and give us chances to prove performance. And do you think that, um, I mean, obviously it did affect it. So how did your time in the military influence your book? So the whole, I mean, I'm very new to the military, right? And the book is really about the transition, I guess, itself is joining and getting in. What has been amazingly interesting in my time in the military has been talking to my fellow young junior Gen Z service members and hearing the reasons they joined and, you know, their ideas. I'd like to say personally, yes, the book was written by one person and it was probably written by a thousand people because I crowdsourced this from really a thousand people talking about these ideas, having these debates, discussions, and having these conversations, frankly, about how to, you know, change things to make the military more appealing to Gen Z. And because of all of that, um, it's really been a great impact and a great way to to see, you know, this is the way to go forward, have these conversations. The book, the goal of the book is every American dinner table could have a conversation about this, even if no one's interested in the military, no one's in the military, about how to make it more appealing. Um, and this is sort of a framework to do that. And again, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, examining the military recruiting crisis with Generation Z. Matthew, how do they find you? Uh, the easiest way is just, Either going right to Amazon, just typing, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, um, by Matthew Weiss, or the the book website is uh, www.unclesambook.org, which has a link, frankly, just to the Amazon page. Uh, very, very shoestring budget on marketing and everything, nothing nothing crazy, um, but the book is out there, and uh, people have really been interested in it and enjoyed it so far, and so that's uh, it's been good. Excellent. Well, congratulations, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Holyoke is tuned to the mighty 670 KLT. Christmas shopping is never easy, especially with teenagers, and Arc Thrift knows that. Arc Thrift has recently added electronic gift cards to their website. Now you can easily buy that family member or special person a gift card electronically to thrift away. This gift is perfect for college students or stocking stuffers. Teenagers and young adults don't want to look cookie cutter, meaning they want that unique, one-of-a-kind product that you can only find when thrifting. Arc Thrift also carries gifts that are great for white elephant gifts, gag gifts, and even toys for the little ones. They have a vast variety of products, but for the holiday season, you can find cheaper-than-store brand Christmas lights, indoor and outdoor decorations, and so much more. It is the season of giving, so don't forget to donate those clothes at the back of your closet you never wear to ARC Thrift. Give the gift of thrift by going to arcthrift.com. That's arcthrift.com. 
Hey there, welcome to the good news with Angie Austin. Well, the holiday season is in full swing and many families will be welcoming new pets home for the holidays. Many of those will be puppies. Joining us today is Dr. Adam Christman, a respected vet who is teaming up with Hills Pet Nutrition to share advice and tips for new and prospective pet owners to have a successful first year with a puppy. Dr. Christman is the Chief Veterinary Officer for DVM360, host of a web-based talk show on the Vet Blast podcast, author of Honey, Have You Squeezed the Dachshund, and is a pet parent of four dachshunds, including new puppy Capone. Welcome, Dr. Adam Christman. Thank you for having me. Hey, you betcha. Hey, I just want to just preface this by saying, you know, I've got three kids in high school, a husband, and we take care of my mom off and on. And um, I wasn't allowed to have pets when I got married, and somehow I ended up with five. And so... <laughs> So someone thought someone thought they were wearing the pants in the relationship, doctor. <laughs> well, this is music to my ears. <laughs> oh, well, my husband's totally fallen in love with them. It's ridiculous on dog day. He brings them to the office. So you, you have the right uh, you have the right crowd here to talk to. Love it. Excellent. All right. So uh, we were just talking about this, in fact, with one of my good uh, vet friends, uh, and he, he does this segment with me or did on TV called Animal House. And he said, that, you know, there's a lot of things to think about when you're getting a puppy for Christmas. So what do you tell, uh, you know, the people that come to see you and your patients, uh, you know, to prospective pet parents who are considering a new pet at uh, this time of year? Yeah, I mean, well, first, it's important to remember that pets are not present, so avoid giving them as surprise gifts. Surprise gifts is really key because puppies are their lifelong commitment, and it's important to ensure that everyone involved is in agreement uh, that now is the right time to welcome a new puppy into your hearts and your home because sometimes puppies aren't the right match for every household. So you might consider a dog that is in need of a home from a, a local shelter or a senior dog for that matter. And you want to also look at your budget. Is this something that we really could afford doing because you know it's let's call it what it is it, it can be expensive owning owning a dog and then also the time commitment involved and you know we want i i always like to want to make sure that everyone in the family can invest the time into raising and training a puppy so those are really key factors to to consider when um entering a, a puppy into your home now in terms of um you know, the, the plans to, to prep for this because I know we've got one now and we accidentally had four. We we adopted a dog that was not going to be bred and accidentally must have been bred because I was going for a walk uh, last November and um, a puppy fell on the sidewalk in the snow and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'd never had a dog that had puppies. So we ended up with four, uh, four surprised Pomeranians. So I know that they chew on a lot of things. I know that they've chewed on many pairs of glasses, headphones, like you really have to prep for this so what are your top three plans that you know you advise we make in advance to welcoming home a new pet or pets <laughs> yeah thank you for sharing that with the headphones because i just did a surgery that, that oh. on a dog that decided to eat headphones oh so, no yeah so puppy puppy proofing your home is really huge so i always like to say to prospective puppy parents is get on the floor what are some things that go to their eye level and what are some things that they can get into? Are, are they cabinets? Are there wires, garbage? I mean, the list goes on. You name it, they'll find it. So you want to make sure that you puppy-proof that house right away. And then also you should have plenty of the food, bedding, toys available for them. So that's that's number one. Number two is building a relationship with the veterinarian and the groomer. Mm -hmm. You're going to be working with them quite a bit. And I always recommend, you know, pre, pre-booking these appointments ahead of time because you probably know they, they book out. So yes. to have that... Uh, scheduled right in advance so uh, i love that and then last 
schedule trading and puppy socialization classes ahead of time because those book out quickly too. And, uh, you know, adult dogs are well-behaved because they were be trained and socialized early on in their lifetime. So I can't stress that to you enough. It, you know, you want to have a well-behaved dog because it just helps elevate and enhance that human-animal bond even better. I think you're right, and I, I realize I'm lacking a little bit in that when all of the dogs jump. They're tiny, but they jump on, you know, people that come to visit. Yeah. So i got to work on that one. Now, I know I used to buy, Doc, I'm sad to admit, um, the cheapest dog food I could find. I do not now. I actually do use Hills because my vet said um, the testing that's done on it and the nutrition value, et cetera, et cetera, it's so important. So I will drop, you know, the money that is necessary to properly feed my dogs, and I think that they go to the let, vet, vet less often. I think their teeth are better. I think their coats are better if they have good nutrition. So how does that start off when they're puppies? Right. Thank you for sharing that because there is no – I always stress this to my clients in the exam room. There's no judging of what you're feeding your pets. I think it's so important just to educate and have a conversation about it. And, you know, on average, puppies experience over 80, 80% of their lifetime growth before their first birthday. Isn't that wow. crazy? That's like – that's a lot of growth that goes yeah. into it. So, you know, it's it's so critical that puppies receive that right nutrition the first stage of the life to help them start off the healthiest way possible. So, you know, there's five building blocks that I'm always looking for when I'm chatting with uh, pet parents for the lifelong health uh, benefits. And we're looking for digestion, brain development, immune system, lean muscle growth, and bone and teeth growth. So I have a puppy, as you know, his name is Capone. He's absolutely precious. And um, I give him the Hills Pet Nutrition. He's on the science side of puppy and with the active biome uh, plus technology in there because of the fact that um, it helps feed that microbiome. A lot of research out there about the biome in your G- in your gut and helping with the immune support. So uh, that's one that I, I really think that's the reason why he's smarter than me. I'm always running out of puzzle toys for him because of this. This Hills <laughs> puppy food is making him super smart. I, that's hilarious. I that, that that's what I use for R four, and then we got a, a fifth puppy um, that when we had them, and they're all really healthy now in their new homes, etc. And I have to say, with the hills, um, I'm sure you've heard of this. Um, I don't know the technical term, but they called it small white dog disease when I took my dog, and she was kind of having like little tremors and such. And so I'd read that maybe a, you know gluten free diet might help. Again, I'm not a vet, but I got the hills gluten free um, for this particular pomeranian, and she has never had another one of these episodes. I'm not saying that that's why, but I have kept feeding her the gluten-free because it's been, you know, almost a year now and she has not had a single episode. It's like, it almost seemed like seizures. But anyway, I'm, you're singing to the choir here. I'm on board with, (laughs) with good nutrition. Excellent. Good. All right. So what else should we have on hand? Um, Chewies, like things for the puppy to chew other than our shoes. Like what else? We want mental stimulation, right? Because if it's not going to be puzzle toys, it's going to be your shoes or other things that are unacceptable. So uh, I love puzzle toys. I think they come a long way. Enrichment toys, in fact, for Capone, I have um, have a puzzle dish for him. So it slows down his feeding, and he has to basically find his food within that bowl. So those are are great things to have on hand. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, pet insurance. Oh, yeah. They come a long way nowadays. Right. So, so crucial to, to chat with veterinarian about pet insurance uh, ideas. And I also love um, and having a first aid kit because you just never know. It could be on a Saturday night. They tear a dew claw, whatever. You have something to kind of manage that. And along those lines, 
make sure you have access to an emergency hospital, you have that information, plus poison control. Having those things are so crucial. And last but certainly not least is microchipping. We want to make sure that our, our dogs are not, not lost. So having that chip um, implanted as well as current information is uh, crucial for the life of that dog. Absolutely. All right. And we're, oh, and also other things to know about the breed itself. Like I think about dachshunds because some of my family members have had them just knowing, you know, or maybe you're going to get a Dalmatian and you have no idea how lively they are. Um, really looking into the breed. I know with my aunt's dachshunds, um, as they got older, like they're not the dog that you could let jump off the bed. You're going to have to have stairs for them because of their back issues, et cetera. So really researching, you know, the, the breed if you aren't just going to get your uh, friendly mutt from the pound. Hundred percent. Oh my gosh, you just struck the nerve with me. That's why I wrote that book because, yeah, I mean, back issues. Knowing the breed predispositions is so important these days. So, yep. Yep, I agree, Doc. Well, thank you so much for all you do for animals and for others. Where can we go for more info? Yeah. So, if you want to learn more, hillspet.com/puppy has some really great resources out there for prospective puppy parents and current ones and. There's a downloadable coupon. Who doesn't love one of those? Oh, so, good. Uh, lots of great resources available. You know, I order mine online, and I often I wait for the the coupon deal as well. So, it, you know, then it costs as much as the stuff I get at the grocery store. So definitely uh, those coupons come in handy for the hills. Thank you so much, doctor. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was fun. Always love talking about pets. You know, we talk about them so often on the program and you talk about how it helps, you know, when people feel lonely, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought I'd get into a couple more of the specifics about how having uh, a pet uh, can really help, help you stay healthy uh, and mentally, of course, as part of it. But one thing I've really noticed with one of my friends that has diabetes is that uh, he is getting out and walking so much with his pet, and he's really lost weight over the last couple of years. And so it's really an opportunity to get outside and exercise. And also what I've seen with my brother um, when he lost his wife one year ago at just the age of 56, uh, she had this tiny little terrier. It weighs about two pounds, and he takes her everywhere. And he isn't very social. This dog has been a lifeline for him because everywhere we would go when I went to visit him with that dog, people stop and like, I've never seen a dog so small. How much does it weigh? Oh, only two pounds. It's not a puppy. And may I pet your dog? And then he gets involved in a conversation with the people. So if he goes to a dog park or we walk by a pickleball court, or if he's walking through um, the senior area where he lives with my mom, um, people stop him all the time. So he's made so many friends. And I'm telling you, he did not make friends without this dog. And so this dog has overcome, helped him overcome his shyness. And he even now, because he's a math uh, teacher now, he even takes the dog to football games at the high school and then carries the little dog on his shoulder. She knows how to just like stay right up there, right against his neck. And But I also think it's been good for him with the loneliness and the grieving that um, having this dog and a purpose and that every day, the walking and the socializing, I just think it's been a lifesaver, not just a lifeline, a lifesaver. So um, also the play, it's just fun, you know, like a, a pets are fun. One of my girlfriends went through uh, the big, uh, you know, uh, strike in Hollywood with all the people in you know, the actors, the writers, the, the editors were all out of work for like a year. And I'm like, well, you're really keeping, you know, um, a positive attitude. And she said, I, I think it's Coco, my dog, because every day I have to get out of bed and walk her and she does funny things and she makes me laugh. So I also think the playing with the pets 
is really wonderful. And they say that, um, you know, the socializing, the exercising, the playing, that that can decrease blood pressure, cholesterol level, uh, triglyceride levels. And we all know that these animals are great when they go into like senior facilities, etc. My um, stepmom, after my dad died, got two kittens and she kept lamenting that even though they bring her so much joy and she's turned her entire home into a giant kitty condo. I mean, she's not really social. No one comes to her house because she just is, uh, my dad said they were hermits. And so she just likes to keep, you know, uh, to herself. Um, and she'll go out and teach Tai Chi and she teaches at the university, but at home, she just has these two cats and she's like, oh, you know, I'm in my seventies now. I shouldn't have gotten kittens. It's not fair. What's going to happen to them when I pass away? I'm like, are you kidding me? They bring you so much joy. This is the happiest thing in her life, these two kittens. And I said, don't worry. I will take care of them for you. They're cats now. Don't worry. I'll take care of them for you if anything happens to you. But it has really helped with her loneliness, has given her companionship. I mean, she sends me videos of them all the time. And so, again, in her grief, she has this lifeline like my brother. So I can't speak highly enough about pets, but, you know, you can't travel the same, especially now I've got five. You've got to find a pet sitter. There are a lot of things to take into consideration. You know, how lively they are, how big your home is, how big your yard is. So definitely keep all of that in mind. But but, you know, for me, you know, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. So um, just thanks for listening to the good news. I appreciate you and I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to the good news with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT.